Thanks for connecting with us. If God's using this ministry to bless you in any way, we would love to know about it. Send us an email to mystory@citylightsac.org. Today's message is from our series, The Struggle is Real. Prepare your heart to hear a word from God. Hey, I'm going to ask you guys to remain standing just for a moment. I know you want to sit. I know you want to sit. But I'm going to ask you to remain standing as we read God's Word. Today we start a new series called The Struggle is Real, and I want to read something from you this morning, or to you this morning from the book of Revelation. Revelation is a tough book to understand, but there's some scripture in there that I think is very relevant for us. Um, What's happening is there's a man named John, and he is receiving a vision from the Lord, and Jesus says, hey, write this down. And how many of you know when God asks us to do something, whether we like it or not, whether it makes sense or not, we should be obedient and do that. And because of John's obedience, we now have the book of Revelation. But this is chapter 2, and and Jesus is speaking through John to a church called Ephesus. It's where we get the book of Ephesians. So this is for believers. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. And and I, I read this, and I see, I know your works. And I'm just grateful that what God sees is the little things. He sees all things. He sees when I feel like I'm not making a difference. He sees my obedience when I'm feeling like it's not enough. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. See, there were some things going on in this church in Ephesus that were just kind of messed up. There was some gossip and some dissension and some false doctrine. He says, you cannot tolerate that. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You have found them to be liars. Verse 3. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and not grown weary. I love this, that what he's saying here is I see when, you, when you're struggling for me or you feel like, hey, God, is this, am I making a difference? Am I hanging on here? Am I persevering? He says, hey, I see that. Him. I see that you're, you're hanging on. Don't grow weary in it. Don't grow weary. I see that. I see that you're doing many things in my name. In verse 4, here's a contrast though. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. This is the New Living Translation says it like this. Verse 4 says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Something happens to us in our Christian walk right after time. Like when you first come to Christ your fire, right? But then what happens is some things come into you, and you, you know, at the beginning, you don't know that you're supposed to read your Bible every day. You don't know that you're supposed to pray every day. You don't know that you're supposed to come to church and dress a certain way. You don't know that you're, you can't come to church and raise your hands. You don't know all those things. You just know that you love Jesus, and something happens over time to all of us. And Jesus says this, I have this against you. You, have, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. And then verse 5, He says, remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. What he's talking about is I'll remove your church. I just wonder, like, what would happen if God came and removed our lampstand because we're not passionate? We're not doing the things we did at first. What would happen? Would would we be gone? We need our passion back. We need our passion. Does anybody need some passion back? With passion over you, and only you, and Lord, I wanna yearn for you. I wanna burn 
I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We are starting a new series today called The Struggle is Real. And man, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about some things that I think are very practical, very relevant. And um, and honestly, there's going to be some conversations that we had that I feel like we're just going to talk like family. We're not going to talk like I'm a pastor and you're, I mean, I'm going to talk like I'm a pastor. I'm going to try my best to do that. But we're going to just talk like we're a family, and we're not going to. We're just going to try to cut through some tension and some layers of just kind of uh, getting close and intimate with one another. But this morning we're in part one, and I want to talk with you about this idea: abandoned but reclaimed. Abandoned but reclaimed. And I ask you this morning if some of y'all needed your your passion back, and and, and you said yeah. And I put this uh, out on social media. I think last night or yesterday or Friday. I can't remember what today is. Um, But this is a really convicting message for me because there's been times in my walk with Christ that I have lost my passion. When I say lost, really what I mean is I've misplaced it. I have refilled it or replaced it with other things. Because how many of you know when you let something go, you replace it with something? If it's an addiction, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's a love with someone, you're seeking a new kind of love. And I've done this a lot in my life, and I think it's caused me to um, become, at times, probably not that desirable to be around, because how many of you know when you're passionate about something and you're around somebody that's not passionate, it's a lot easier for them to drag you down than for them to pull you up. In fact, I have determined right now in my life that there are certain things I'm passionate about, and if people aren't passionate about that, I'm just not going to talk with them about it. Uh, and, and what I, I, said, I shared this with our first service is that I would rather lose people in my life than lose my passion. I would, rather, I would rather not be suppressed and just make some new friends than to have people drag me down. Amen, anybody, or are we just all, okay, just making sure we're all on the same page here. Passion is an interesting thing. It's something that comes, it's something that goes, and we're going to talk just specifically about that word. Um, and I pray that those of you who said you wanted some passion back, that God will use our worship team, our visual team, everything about today to give that to you. I can remember the very first message I preached on a Sunday morning, 
And uh, God, it was painful. I know that it was painful for people, but I'll never forget it because I was so excited. It was 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 12 and 18, 12 through 18. I'll never forget it because in Bible college, I wrote a 20-page paper on it called an exegetical. And basically, the exegete is a critical explanation of text. So what I'm saying is, I knew everything about it, everything in Hebrew. I knew the context. I knew everything that was going on before it happened and after it happened. I just knew everything about it. So when I got up on that Sunday morning to preach... There was nothing about the text I didn't know. And I'm not boasting. I'm just saying, you know, God had helped me with some professors, and I'd done this big paper, and I was ready. I could have told you anything about it. <clears throat> and when you, when you speak in public, one of the greatest things you try to do is, I'm just giving you some hints, okay? You memorize your introduction, right? If you can just get to like the first two or three minutes, you're good to go. If you can memorize that, and you're good to go. So I'm all the time trying to remember, what's my introduction? Like today, this is my introduction, so I memorize it, so I'm going to tell the story about me preaching. And I can remember there, I'm up there preaching, and it was a pretty good-sized church. <clears throat> and I get through the introduction, and then something happens. Like, when I get nervous, I call it my preacher sweat. I start, like, just uncontrollably, like, sweating, like, just crazy. Like, and I start, then I know I'm getting nervous. Then I start feeling nervous because I know that I look, I'm, that I look nervous. And so, like, I'm seven minutes into this message, and I, like, am, I'm stuttering all over myself. I'm skipping ahead of my notes and going back and forth, and the visual teams like they can't keep up with me. It's like connected dots are trying, you know. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that. Take me back there. Take me back here. And it wound up being really, really painful. And the moral of that story was, I wasn't polished, but I had, I had passion. I had passion. I had passion about it. And I'll take someone that's passionate about some things that doesn't have it all together, because passionate, being passionate is, I think it's a byproduct of knowing what our purpose is. And what happens a lot of times in our walk with Christ is somehow we start out and we're just so passionate, so passionate. And it, not this doesn't happen to everybody, but it does happen a lot. We get so passionate. And over time, things happen. Legalism sets in. Tradition sets in. What you think sets in. And how many of you know what you think about God's Word could be some of the dangerous things that are out there? Well, this is, a, this, I, this is what I think it means. Well, we need to be careful. And so what happens is we begin to... Uh, get locked in this, it's basically just a spiral of choosing um, our preferences over our passion. So the first thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is don't confuse your passion with your preference. Don't confuse your passion with your preference because what happens a lot of times, and this, this happens in church, this happens in marriages, this happens in, um, in work, we start off really, really passionate. We see it with volunteers. You see it at your work. Someone who gets hired on, they're like, this is the greatest job in the world. I love this. They're so honored. It's a privilege. I can't believe I get to serve. I can't believe that I get to do this. Or I can't believe I get to you know, do that. And what happens over time is this thing called sin and, and really our selfishness begins to creep up. And so then we see like our preferences aren't being met. Like I really, I wish they did it like this here. I wish they did it like that. Uh, I wish that... Um, I had a certain, uh, I, wish they, I wish my church played this kind of music. I wish my preacher dressed this kind of way. I wish my boss wouldn't talk to me that way. I wish he would do this. I wish he would do that. And when we begin to serve our preferences over our passion, it is a costly mistake. It is a costly mistake. And we live in such a self-centered world that it's not unusual for us to basically quit things or drop out of things when we begin to choose our preferences. I... Um, I shared this earlier, like, I think that a lot of times people, Christians, they use God's name for their apathy. Uh, apathy is a fancy word for lazy. I just said that so y'all know that I'm smart. 
But what they'll do is things like this. They start off really passionate. This happens not just in our church. It's every church. If you've ever been to any church, then you know this happens. People start off and they're so strong and they're so passionate. They're like, this is my church. I'm serving. I'm going to take on the gates of hell. And then some, something, something happens over time. They just kind of they give way to some things. Prefer- they start noticing, well, I wish they didn't do things like that here. They should really do this to fix it. I could fix it if I was doing it. And then we use God's name for apathy, and we say, we've been saying things like this. And you do it at work, too. You say, I just don't really feel led anymore to serve. Or I just don't feel led anymore to, you know, to do this. Or I just don't feel led anymore to do that. And listen, God can lead you to do other things. But my primary problem with that is 99% of people who say they throw God's name on it is the 100% of the other 99% of their life, they're not letting God lead anything. So it's always amazing to me when someone comes and says, I just don't feel like God wants me to do that. And I'm like, well, what about A, B, C, D, E, F, G, sin in your life? Like, what are you, how's God leading you in that? It's amazing to me that you're so clearly can hear him on this, but everything else you're like, no, nah, I'm just good. And so when we begin to pursue our preferences over our passion, it's immediate, it's immediate and, and imminent, next point, that when you leave your passion, you lose your place. When you leave your passion, you lose your place. This is the truth. I'm not saying that I am for divorce. This is just the fact of the matter. So hear me on this. Men, the same is true for women, but I'm a man. If I don't pursue my wife today the way that I wooed her in the beginning, I would be foolish to think that I could not lose her. Does that make sense? Like, if you think your love that you have today is going to carry you on for the rest of your life, you're sadly mistaken. Now listen, I've not been married uh, as long as many of you, but I've been with my wife for 13 years, so I think that gives me a tad bit of experience to know this, that if I don't pursue her today, if I don't tell her that she's beautiful, if I don't fall more in love with her every day, if I don't compliment her, if I don't support her, if I don't dream with her, if I don't cherish her, it happens. That's how adultery sets in, right? There's something going on. There's something not going on. There's some miss, It's missing. And when you leave your passion, you lose your place. I guarantee you, I do not feel entitled that if I were to be the pastor of this church and just felt like, hey, you know what? I'm the pastor of this church because God gave me the vision. Now, God gave me a vision to start it, but it's His church. So if I begin to lose my passion, if I begin to leave my passion, what makes you think God wouldn't bring somebody else in here to lead this church? Right? What happens at work when you leave your passion, when it's no longer a big deal to you and you start showing up late and you leave early and you come in looking like you're half asleep? You get fired. Right? When you, when you leave your passion for something, you lose your place. I'm not saying that I'm for divorce. I'm not saying that I'm for splitting up. I'm certainly not for adultery. I'm certainly not for you getting fired. I'm just saying it's the reality of the matter. When you leave passion, you lose your place place. So then a logical question would be this, Pastor, how do we get our passion back? How do we get our passion back? We must turn back to the scripture. This is Revelations 2 4. Jesus says, or excuse me, not 2 4. It is 2 4, I'm sorry. He says, But I have this against you. You have abandoned, let me hear, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Notice he doesn't say because you lost it. You abandon it. So then we do not lose our passion. We give it away. We abandon it. We replace it. It's the same thing. I don't know why I just feel led to, to share on this, but it's the same, same thing that happens in adultery. You, you don't, um, 
like stop loving your wife or your husband, you quit and you begin to abandon those feelings to pursue someone else. It's the same thing with your walk with Christ. And that's what he's saying here is you did not lose your love for me. I'm in you. You abandon it. You put other things before me. You put other things in its place. And so I think a good diagnostic question to ask you would be, not to answer out loud is, how have you abandoned what matters most? Jesus says, I have this against you. You have abandoned. You have abandoned the love you had at first. We do not lose it. We replace it. We leave it. We give it away. And I wonder, I just wonder this morning, how have you abandoned it? What things have you put in its place? A lot of times I see this with like just people in church. And listen, I'm really not just talking about this church. I'm well connected with other churches that are in our network. And so I know the story's going on. And this right here is what hurts me the most about people when they say that they're, you know, they're going to leave the church and um, that they don't feel led to do this or another. What I know is this is 99% of the time they have just abandoned their passion. Like nothing's changed here. It's their perception. And the craziest dude I ever knew said one of the wisest things I ever heard. He said, perception is reality. If you perceive it, then you believe it. But people, they, they walk away from Christ. They walk away from their relationship. They walk away from their marriage. They walk away from volunteering. They walk away from family because they've abandoned it. Something in them has caused them to let it go. They begin to choose their preference over their passion. And when their preferences aren't met, they begin to leave their passion. So how do we get it back then? I just want to make sure you understood this, that you didn't lose it. You left it. God didn't take it away from you. You gave it away for something else. So then how do we get it back? This is verse 5. This is, there's so much in this, man, this is deep right here. Remember then how far you have fallen. So Jesus is saying then the first thing we must do is reflect on a couple things. And what I love about this is I was studying this, and I, let me say this, I'd heard, I'd heard this message and these concepts this week, and it ruined me. I actually had another idea for our message, and I think I told our band like Thursday night, I was like, hey, listen, I'm changing. I don't need, we're not, what we talked about is not where we're going. And so I, I began to wrestle with this idea of passion. And so then I, what I wanted to do was, as God began to convict me, I wanted to take these scriptures and apply them to our context. And so when you think of, when you see this, remember then how far you have fallen Jesus is saying to reflect, and this idea that uh, he's saying, remember how far you've fallen, he does not say regret where you are. He does not say regret, regret where you are, he says remember where you were. And I'm just so grateful that God, in our, when, we, when we leave our passion, when we abandon him, he doesn't say, hey, you need to sit in uh, self-pity and wallow and just regret being here. He says, just remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Then he says, repent, which is, I know this sounds like such a churchy word, but it's, it's a true biblical idea of I was going this way, I repented, and then I turned this way. It's like 180 degrees. I was going one way, and then I changed and came back this way. And he, Look, this is interesting. He says, and do the works you did at first, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And I think what's amazing about this, if we remember the context of this, John is writing to the church at Ephesus, and I just wonder what would happen if those of us who have abandoned our faith in here, what would happen if we did not remember where we were? <clears throat> What would happen if we did not remember what led us here? What would God do for us in the future if we abandoned it? Like, what would happen? Would God come and remove our church? 
That's not a thunderbolt and lightning. Jesus says, hey, you don't burn with passion. You don't do the things you did at first. Why would I bless you over here if I can't trust you right here? So how do we get it back? We must remember. That's reflect, then repent. And then here's the next thing. He says, and do the works you did at first. So then, you've got to pray and practice. You've got to pray and practice. You can't just, listen, this is going to be really weird if you don't understand the my heart behind it and the meaning of it. You can't just pray, God, give me my passion back. Make me care for what I used to. Make me see that person through the lens of love and compassion. Jesus says, do the works you used to do. So like, hey, if you don't feel grateful, then you should just wake up one day and say, I am grateful. If you don't feel thankful, one day you should just wake up and say, you know what, God, today I'm thankful. If you're not excited about coming to church or going to work, then maybe you should just get up one day and say, hey, I'm going to get excited about it. I'm going to give you my best. He said, you cannot just pray. You can't just say, God, give it back to me. You can't just say, bless this, give me this, take it away. No, you've actually got to do something about it. He said, do your works that you used to do. And what happened when you were first on fire for Him? Or in these, and I'm not even just talking about that, these seasons of passion where, man, you would share your faith or you would raise your hand or, or you would pray, you would do this and you would do that. And so what I'm saying is you cannot just pray and ask God to do something without you doing your part. It does not work that way. It has never worked that way. It will never work that way. Could God do anything He wanted to? Absolutely. But I'm just so thankful that He gives us a responsibility in His, in His will. And so if you want to get your passion back, you cannot just pray about it. You've got to practice. You've got to do the things that you used to do. You've got to pursue your wife the way you used to. You've got to show up early to work and quit being late and leaving early and coming in looking all crazy. You've got to do the things that you used to do. Do you guys remember... Um, the, in the Old Testament, there was a man named King David. And uh, I think this is such a good Old Testament illustration of this New Testament principle. When David uh, was a young man, the man named Samuel came to him, uh, came to David's family, and was going to anoint a new king, as many of you recall. Samuel comes to the family. All David's brothers are out there. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're better looking. And... Samuel's like, no, this is not them. None of, this is none of them. And he's like, is there anybody else? And his father's like, yeah, I've got, you know, got this boy out in the field. And what I love about this is I begin thinking and just kind of listening to, to a message and hearing and studying some different scripture about this that I think this is a good Old Testament illustration because um, David was passionate about what he did in those fields. And if you know the story, you know long before he slayed Goliath, he was in the, sh- in the field killing bears and lions and tending to the sheep. And it was the same faith, it was the same passion in that field that allowed him to run up to that giant that day and say, hey, I'll take it on. It was that same passion, it was that same passion that took him from the pasture to king of the palace. And I was wondering then, you know, if, if we as a church... If we won't be faithful and passionate while we're in this pasture, then why in God's green earth, good name, why would He take us to the palace? If you can't be faithful with the small things in your life, why would God promote us and give you something greater? Why would He? His grace? Yeah, absolutely. But I think this is a great illustration that, hey, David, when he had no position, when no one knew his name, he was passionate because this is why. He knew his purpose. 
David knew his purpose. And our purpose, and every person in here, we have one purpose, and that is to glorify God and to make Him known. We could say to make disciples, to love God and to love people, and that is your purpose. You do not have to wander around this world saying, hey, I wonder what God wants me to do with my life. Well, He's already spoken. However, what happens next is He gives you a purpose, and you put your passion on that. And so your passion may be, you may be you're a nurse. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a firefighter. Maybe you're a plumber. Maybe you're a welder. Maybe you're a singer. And so you can follow your purpose with your passion. And that's what David did. He knew his purpose, and that's why he was passionate. It was his passion that took him from that pasture to the palace. Now, as we begin to kind of just end here, I, I want to share some more on that thought. Don't leave these scriptures in Revelation. But the last thing that I want to just share with you before we go is don't confuse your faith with your feelings. Don't confuse your faith with your feelings. And I think a good word for us to remember is this. Don't let your feelings tell your faith what to do. I feel like doing this. You ever said, I feel like God wants me to do this. I feel like it. I feel like it. And there's been many times where the struggle is real. Have you ever felt some way? It just felt so real, but looking back, it wasn't. Don't confuse your faith with your feelings. So that same king, David, years later on in his life, years later on in his life, he's at the palace, and some things have changed in his life now. He's no longer as passionate as he was that day in the field. Hang with me just for like five more minutes as I close. In that field, he was slaying bears and giants and, and, uh, and lions. It took him to Goliath. That passion took him there to the palace. Some time has went by, and he begins to lead by his feelings. And your feelings will get you in trouble. The story says in the springtime, this is in 2 Samuel, when kings go out to march and to battle, it says David stayed home. David led by his feelings. I don't want to go anymore. My preference, I prefer to stay. I'm not following my passion anymore. And the very next verse says that David went up to the rooftop and it was there he saw Bathsheba. And how many of you, goodness gracious, know that when you are not where God intends for you to be in your life, it is only a matter of time before sin unfolds. When you're not where He wants, it's only a matter of time before you face something of dire consequence. And so the struggle is real for David. He's like, hey, I know I'm supposed to be out at war. That's what kings do, but I don't feel that way anymore. I'm not passionate about those things anymore. I prefer to stay. So he sends his men on. He stays back. He goes to the rooftop. He sees Bathsheba. He sends men for her. She has no choice but to come because he's the king. She comes back to the palace. David sleeps with her. Gets her pregnant. He finds out he's led by his feelings because he's abandoned his passion he then does something like this he calls for Bathsheba's husband you know the story he comes home from war he tries to get Bathsheba and him to sleep together and he's like no I'm I'm not going to be how can I be at home while my brothers are out here fighting in war so David sends him back to the front line with a note that says hey once he goes to the front line everybody pull back so Uriah goes up to the front all the men come back and basically David has him murdered David was called a man after God's own heart before all this happened. This is not planned or scripted, but I think that's a good word to tell you this. You can be after Jesus and still mess up because there's grace for that. 
David was called a man after God's own heart. He had an affair and had a man murdered. I think you can still have a heart for Jesus even if you sin a little bit too. For whoever that is. He has his her husband murdered. And then because of that, God punishes them by taking the baby boy's life. And so this king now, who had this passion in the pasture, he is he's abandoned the things he cared about at first. But there's an incredible prayer. There's an incredible prayer that David prays after this. It's not in chronological order, but if you read 2 Samuel in this story, then you go to Psalm 51. That is the prayer that David prayed right after all this happens. This is that he prays to God. He says, create in me a clean heart. And what David is saying there is that word create is the Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 1. He's saying about the story of creation. God, I need you to do in me what only you can do. And so like David, he, he, he falls to his knees and he begins praying this prayer, God, create in me a clean heart. Some translations it says like this. It says, renew the right spirit within me. Other translations say it like, don't take your spirit from me. And so what's happening is David has abandoned his passion. But that day he's reclaiming it. He said, God, listen, I know I've messed up my integrity. I know I've ruined my reputation with the people that, that follow me as I serve as their king. And I know that I've, I've hurt Bathsheba and I've hurt her husband. And it's cost our baby his life. But here's at the end of the day, Lord, I'll take all that. But give me my passion back. Help me follow my purpose. Give me back what matters the most. So this king, this young boy, man, after his own heart in the field, it, it took him to the to the palace, but he started choosing his preferences. and He started letting his feelings tell his faith what to do, and it, it cost somebody dearly. And don't ever believe the lie that your sin only impacts you. That's straight from the devil. It hurts other people. And so there we find David in Psalm 51 praying, God, don't take your spirit from me. I've abandoned my passion. I've abandoned my purpose. But today I reclaim it. I'll take anything, any consequence, any punishment, but don't take your spirit from me. And I'm wondering this morning as a church if we can say, God, I have abandoned some things. I have misplaced it with some things. My passion has been gone, and I don't do the things I used to do. I'm so jacked up, and I care about stuff that doesn't even matter. It's true. Well, at the end of the day, we're all going to be in heaven, so I should just get over it today anyway because I'm not that important in the big scheme of things. Just give me my passion back for you. Just give me my passion back for you. Dear Jesus, we pray this in unity and unison, unified, that we want to be a group of people who are passionate about you, that we are sold out to you, that we do not uh, live our lives according to our feelings because our heart is wickedly deceitful. God, we want to burn for you, Lord. We want you to resurrect something in us today that maybe has been suppressed or or abandoned. Give us our passion back. Help us, God, to not get so wrapped up in who Hillary is and who Donald is and what the outcome is. Lord, you are our Father, and we who are in you will be okay, whoever gets in there on November 8th. Lord, we are putting our trust in you. Help us to get passionate about loving you and loving other people. Help us to, to put them before our own interests. Thanks for listening to today's message. We'd love to stay connected with you for the week. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at City Lights AC. Thanks again, and join us soon.